Welcome to The Lorraine Murphy Show. If you're anything like me, you want a successful, abundant business, epic energy, a growth mindset, vibrant health, and beautiful relationships. And this podcast sets out to help us achieve all of that together. I've been in the entrepreneurship arena for almost a decade now and have mentored hundreds of other business owners. So I know what goes on behind the scenes and what it takes to succeed. This podcast shares the tips, tricks, learnings, and lessons I lean on in order to blend the different facets of my life as an entrepreneur, author, wife, and mama to two gorgeous little humans. Let's jump in to today's episode. Hello and welcome to this week's episode of The Lorraine Murphy Show. I am thrilled to have your ears joining me in this week's episode. So this week we're talking about a very important topic, which is setting your business up to sell, featuring Michelle Cavello. Selling their businesses is a dream of many entrepreneurs, whereas for some, they can't even imagine a future without their business in it. This conversation this week is a must listen to for anyone building a business as you honestly never know when that phone call might come from an interested buyer. I just had an experience with one of my mentees a couple of months ago who got a phone call. She had no plans on selling her business and had a a phone call from a prospective buyer and straight away sold an entire arm of her business. As my guest this week makes clear, even if we have zero plans of ever selling, we should still take some simple steps towards structuring our businesses in case A, we change our mind, or B, we get an offer we can't refuse one day. Michelle Cavello is the founder of Sydney-based Lantern Partners, a financial advisory company that's dedicated to helping high-growth companies reach their goals. And she has personally held the hands of many a founder as they prepared to and later sold their business. I love Michelle's approach as she's fully committed to being led by the numbers in a business. However, she doesn't ever lose sight of the fact that behind the numbers are real people with real dreams and worries. She also has an incredible knack for making intimidating finance concepts easy to understand. And she's also a longtime mentee of mine who I adore working with. In our chat this week, myself and Michelle discuss whether or not every business can be sold, what she sees as the biggest blocks when a founder starts to look at selling their business, how long it usually takes for a business sale to be completed, and as a result, how far out founders should be thinking about readying their company for sale, how you go about having a business valued, what a multiple is and how it works. And if selling your company is on your one day wish list, what the three things you should be thinking about right now are what an earnout is and how long a founder will usually stay on in a business post sale. And critically, the emotional roller coaster that selling a business can be and how to navigate it. I am so excited to bring you this conversation because as I said, this is something that I believe every business owner should be aware of regardless of where they're at in their business journey right now. So let's bring on myself and Michelle Cavello. Thank you so much for joining me, Michelle. As soon as I understood more about what you do, I said, I have to get you on the show at some point. So I'm so happy we're making it happen finally. Oh, thank you. It's lovely to be chatting. <laughs> so in terms of some background, so you're one of my mentees. I'm very lucky I get, I get to work with you closely, which is amazing. And would you give a bit of a history on, on you? So who you are, the, what Lantern Partners does, and I guess mm-hmm. a bit of a background as to how you got to, to start the business? Yeah, sure. Thank so, you. So from a 
personal perspective, I'm originally from the UK. Um, I've been in Australia for um, almost 20 years now, which seems insane, but it, it is. Um, and I'm kind of the classic backpacker story. So I arrived with my backpack on my back and um, never went home. <laughs> um, Career-wise, back in the UK, um, I trained with PwC as a chartered accountant. Um, was there for a relatively short period of time. And I've mainly been in um, what, um, what we call the, the commercial finance or business partnering side of finance within businesses, within companies. Um, and the companies that I've supported have generally been within the media marketing and technology space. Mm. Um, and so I did that for, for years, uh, both in the UK and uh, in Australia. And then just over 10 years ago, we just had our 10th birthday. Yay. Um, <laughs> yay. Um, I decided to go out on my own and set up Lantern Partners. Um, and the reason for that is that I just saw this, this massive growth in founders and entrepreneurship kind of generally um, within the the, um, the business ecosystem and um, it's something I love doing is, is supporting founders and a supporting growth stories um, and so that's why, um, why we made the leap. Um, so and, good. Yeah. So you specialize in working with the founder CEO so for just in case I mean the clues in the name but can you just hmm. explain what is a founder CEO? So, so basically, primarily the businesses I work with are still run by the person that founded the business. And that's what I mean by founder CEOs. So um, quite often what I'm helping those founder CEOs with is helping the business get to the next stage of growth. So, uh, so generally the businesses, we do work with some pre-revenue companies, but generally um, it's a business that has been going for a few years and has been, um, been successful in what they um, have set out to do, but really needs some assistance in making that kind of next leap. Um, so we help the CEOs kind of reach those business goals. Now, sometimes that can be organic growth, which, um, which can mean overseas expansion. So we quite often help businesses kind of make their first steps overseas, whether that's, you know, Asia, UK, US, or they've raised some capital um, and now they've got uh, and new advisors or an advisory board um, or new investors that they need to report to. And we help them mature their finance systems and processes and help them elevate the discussions with their board. Mm-hmm. Um, but then um, the, what we do a lot of, because quite often it's, the, um, you know, it's a, a goal of many founders, is we help them prepare their business for sale and kind of help them through all those processes. Yeah, love that. So can I ask you a question before we dive into the kind of nuts and bolts of selling Mm. your business? Can every business actually be sold? And what I mean by that is to, you know, if if someone's got a personal brand business or maybe it's a smaller business, like Mm. do you believe that every business can be actually sold at some point? I think the key is probably in the at some point. I think there's there's a few things to bear in mind, right? nothing's impossible mm-hmm. um, but um, generally the business has to be bigger than just one person um, and what I mean by bigger is that if the business is just reliant on one person or a key couple of people the valuation you won't you get it won't be as high because it's much more risky for a buyer mm-hmm. because it, it, there are some of these sales that take place which is why I'm saying nothing's impossible but um 
quite often those kind of sales are what we call acqui hires, where you're essentially buying the people within the business. And oh, so then okay. keeping the people is is basically you're basically kind of buying talent effectively. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's not generally um generally you won't get a high valuation for the business but then a high valuation uh, or why you went want to sell the business is also really really important to get clear before you get into a process because what might be a great result for you Lorraine might not be a great result for me might not be a great result for business C business T it, re- it really is about what you as a founder want from this process and Mm. want as an outcome so look yes it's possible but um, I think where you get the the best valuation of what what you want is to kind of maximize all this effort you've put in over the last few years in terms of building your business where you'll get the best valuation is where you can show the ability of your business to to scale so to grow both revenue and profit um, across a range of customers yeah yeah, that makes sense. Can we actually, I wanted to ask you about valuations in a few minutes, mm-hmm. but can we just dive straight in there because you've, you've mm-hmm. raised it already? Yeah, yeah. So business valuation essentially means how much your business is worth. And yeah. and having sold my first business, I kind of got my, had to get my head around this in a, very, very quickly. Mm. So when, when we talk about having a business valued, is it always mm. based on a multiple? Can you just talk us, almost like yeah, give us the okay. one-on-one evaluations if you don't mind. Okay, yeah, sure. So, so basically, um, there is a there's an art and a science to valuation. Okay, okay? <laughs> I thought you'd so, say that. Yeah. So, so the the technical valuation is basically, you know, at a really high level, what you do is you work out what the performance of the business will be over a number of years, what cash flows it will generate, and then you do you you do this kind of formula called discounting, which says, okay, you know. Uh, a dollar in 10 years is worth less than a dollar now. So you kind of go through that whole technical process. Mm-hmm. And there, there are valuation experts that can do that for you. But I think what's, what's the, the art part is about, um, you know, what the market is doing, what your business is doing, and how attractive that business is for someone that wants to acquire you. Um, how, you know, I, I quite often talk about making your business pretty for sale. And, you know, that's mm-hmm. a lot of preparation process that we Which do. Which I want to ask you about, for yeah. sure. And, um, you know, all of that has an impact on your valuation. And so one of the key things that I always advise businesses um, that are looking at this process is go find an M&A advisor. And M&A is mergers and acquisitions. So an M&A advisor who will be able to overlay that technical valuation, which is still really important, with what the market's doing now um, and to find someone that's experienced in your space. So both from an industry perspective and a size perspective, because largely the businesses that um, we help sell and kind of sell businesses that um, are, uh, you know, in that what we call kind of mid-market range, they're all private sales. So a lot of the time that valuation isn't disclosed anywhere. Um, and so actually finding an M&A advisor that has access to that information because that's their world, though, you know, and that's the conversations that they have every day is really, really valuable. Um, and going back to your point about multiples, what multiples are essentially, um, and, and for those that kind of aren't familiar with, with the, the lingo is you kind of, you say um, 
a certain number times your revenue or a certain number times your profit and different businesses get um, valued on multiples of revenue and profit but all that really is is a shorthand way of describing those two pieces of art and science that I've just talked about it's kind of a shorthand um, that that the market uses because you know that you will you'll hear people talking ranges of multiples as well ranges of dollar valuations mm. um and um you know the multiple is just that shorthand way of, of saying kind of this is this is the dollar value range for your particular business got it okay that makes sense so when when you talk about who who we can go to to get our, our businesses valued it might just be me, but an M&A expert just sounds very expensive. So if you're running a smaller business, maybe you're doing maybe 100 to 500K of, of revenue a year. Would you still recommend to go to someone like that? Um, that, that probably is, that's probably on the lower, lower end of when you'd actually seek out an M&A advisor. Mm-hmm. So what you can, what, I think is, and I talk a lot of, uh, to, to clients about getting the right team around you. Mm-hmm. Um, also having a lawyer that's experienced in M&A yes. um, is, is really important. They will also have that same um, information. They'll be coming at it from a different perspective because they're, they're lawyers. Um, and um, similarly, you know, we do, we do um, the kind of the technical valuations as well. Um, but um, I think that it really depends on what what you want to get out of the sale and how you want to maximize the value within your business but i think it's always worth a discussion you do, you know a lot of um advisors whether they be kind of legal tax mna you know are very happy to kind of just have an initial conversation um but again finding someone in the right space so size of your business industry is where you kind of start to you're not going to go to you know a, a, you know high-end kind of top of the market M&A advisor if your business is around kind of the levels that you were talking about but there Mm -hmm. are M&A advisors that specialize at all different levels okay amazing and what's a business broker then Michelle so a business broker similar to an M&A advisor so a broker will be someone that goes essentially shops your business around so what the analogy I quite often use when I'm talking about business sales is is house sales right so your business broker is the same as your real estate agent. They all kind of, they all take your business, they'll um, shop it around to the right clients within your, um, within your space um, to see who's interested in buying you. And then they'll help manage and facilitate that process. And for that, they'll take a percentage. Usually it's structured around a percentage of the sale and, um, you know, a minimum fixed fee. That's usually how it's done. Got it. That's super helpful. Thank you so much. So you work with a lot of founder CEOs. You've you've mm-hmm. been through quite a few. You've you've led quite a few deals in your time over the last 10 years since you started the business. Can I ask what what would you see as the three biggest blocks to a founder? So say a founder starts to wait this start of the year they say okay I think think I'm I've decided now I'm I want to let the business go at some point. Mm-hmm. What are the biggest blocks that you see them experiencing with with that getting ready for sale? Um, look, I think that in terms of, I, I, I think in terms of the reality of how long it takes both to get your business, what, what is getting your business ready for sale, how long it takes to get your business ready for sale, and mentally for you as a founder, what it's going to feel like 
to sell your business baby right mm. um it it's you know it 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 can be quite an emotional process um mm. and we're we're often with the business right from the beginning in terms of preparing the business for sale then actually getting um into a sale process and and managing the business through that and then through the transition out at the other side um quite often we're helping um smaller privately owned businesses sell to a listed company or a public company which is of course amazing um but you know going from things being un- very much under your control and processes which are designed around your business um to a process where you're being told what to do it's it's hard for a founder Mm. Um, and all of those three stages have their challenges, um, and that's what we help founders navigate. So, sorry, stepping through the ch- the, the the stages. One is getting ready. One is getting ready. One Second, is in the sale. In, yeah, and the third one is after the sale. Yeah, I want to come back to that after the sale point. If that's okay with you, because yeah, I think that's yeah. a really powerful one. Because I think, yeah, we, we think about it's all about the dollars and the money in the bank, but there's, there's quite a lot of emotions tied up yeah. into that as well, which I'd love and, to chat to you about. Yeah, and every single founder I speak to, you know, they're popping the champagne, they've signed the document um, and everything's kind of sold and they're kind of cheering. And I'm the one that kind of brings them crashing down to earth, go, right, okay, now's when the hard part really starts. Mm. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, let, let's chat about that. So in terms of the, the getting ready for sale, what's the biggest mm. block do you see? You talked about getting your business pretty for yeah. sale, which I love. Yeah. Uh, and again, to use the, the house analogy, right, it, it is getting your house pretty for sale. So what you want to do is make sure that when you go and talk to a potential acquirer, all of the figures and the projections and all of the things that you talk about in your business, when it comes to a due diligence process, which is when um, all of your books and records um, are combed through um, by a, a potential acquiring party, um, that everything ties together. And so particularly when you, you know, you founded a business, the most important thing um, arguably is growing that business, right? Getting the customers, growing your product, mm-hmm. um, evolving the business. But what that quite often means is your back office can be quite messy um, and there maybe isn't some great discipline processes around keeping documentation. So whether that's customers, um, suppliers, employees, your ATO and ASIC records, um, they maybe haven't, you know, been, you know, got incomplete documentation or there's bits of pieces of information over here, over here. Um, so, so that can be, a, a, you know, a, a big process for a, for a founder to go through. Um, the, the other thing in terms of, a couple of other things in terms of blocks. So, you know, not having looked after your IP properly, so your intellectual property, mm. So, you know, at a really basic level, you can't sell something that doesn't belong to you. So that's about making sure, you know, things like trademarks and domains are all kind of nicely um, sewn up and registered um, where appropriate. Um, But also, you know, if you're developing platforms or if you're developing a product, um, all of the people that worked on that, whether they're employees or contractors, you've got contracts where that IP is clearly and contractually, the business is not the person who, who actually did it for the business. Mm. Um, and sometimes, you know, we find that that's missing. Such a um, good point. I, I honestly never even thought about the IP factor. So as a bare minimum, what should you have registered? What should you have trademarked? 
um, you know, at a minimum, make sure your your domain names um, for your websites registered and um, trademarks. If that is important to your business, whether that's a name or whether it's a design, for example, get that trademarked. Mm-hmm. Patents patents are harder. I mean, similar to to trademarks in some ways. Again, it's around the intellectual property of your business, um, but that can be a more involved process and not relevant for every business. Mm-hmm. Um, but um, um, so those pieces. And then also, and this is quite often overlooked, is making sure your employee contracts and your supplier contracts have a clause in there which assigns any IP that's created um, in the course of their engagement, whether it's as an employee or contractor, belongs to the company, not to them. Yeah. Okay. God, so much to think about. <laughs> <laughs> So IP is a huge one. And then yeah. what about, so I know when I was getting my first business, it was actually before I sold the business, I was bringing on a partner and, mm. and I just cleaned up the books in it. Mm. So not that I was like laundering money through my business, yeah, yeah. but there were things that I was putting through the business um, that is in my, my own expenses within so there were business expenses that, but they were relating to my my what was at the time was my side hustle, which is my Lorraine Murphy business. Mm. But I just invoiced everything through my first yeah. business, which was the Remarkables Group. So yeah. when I knew I was bringing on the partner, something that I did was separated out everything. So any of my LM, so Lorraine Murphy expenses, mm-hmm. I, I actually registered a second business, which was Remarkability, which is my business now. Mm. And and then I transitioned any expenses that were relating to that side hustle business came mm. out of the side hustle bank mm-hmm. account. Is there anything else like that that you see just, just makes, yeah, as you said, putting it up, make, making the books cleaner. Is there anything else that you see people often need to tidy up? That's one of the first things that you see before they sell their business. Um, I think the other thing is um, that there are certain things that, that people do for, for tax planning and that around is similar to what you're saying, um, but, but more around kind of personal and business. So, for example, you know, it, you know, people putting, um, you know, car expenses through the business where, um, you know, it, it's not all kind of strictly through the with the business, um, you know. So in terms of, Michelle, going back to your point of prettying up our businesses, when I was bringing on a business partner into my first business, something that I set out to do was to clean up the books. So it's not to say that I was laundering money through through business, but what I wanted to do was, so at the time I was running the Remarkables Group, which was my, my business. Mm. And I was also doing mentoring and I was running a mastermind and doing some speaking. And also my first book was also being invoiced and, and, and that money was moving through my first business. Mm-hmm. So what I wanted to do when that business partner was was kind of on the horizon, I cleaned everything up. So I went and registered Remarkability, which is my my second business, which is now mm-hmm. the, the, the main hustle, and also set up a new bank account. So everything then, it got, I got my own zero set up for, the, for that side hustle yep. business. So just make, made sure that everything was like pulled apart and what was sitting in my first business's bank account was the first business. And then what was sitting in the side hustle was that. Mm. Is there anything that you see almost like the, the most common things that you see people needing to clean, clean up when it comes to similar, similar to what I was doing, getting, getting the business ready for sale or, or potentially yeah. to bring out a partner? Yeah. I, I, and I think, you know, it's all an extension of that lens. Try and look at it as an external party. Anything that is not relevant to that core business um, needs to go. So, mm. for example, if there are certain things that have been done for personal tax planning reasons, um, separate that out from the business. So, if, I don't know, 
you know, um, your partner's doing consulting work and it's easier to invoice through your existing business than, it, than you know, for them to set up a separate company. Now, all that kind of stuff's got to go. Mm. Um, it's, it's, and again, with slightly bigger businesses, in terms of preparing the business for sale, what we do is kind of look at the business and go, what, what are, what's the core value within this business? And what are the small periphery things that, that are actually, we started a certain product line or a certain service line because we thought it might go somewhere. Actually, it hasn't really gone anywhere. Let's focus on the core strengths of the business and the core products and services, um, and which might mean kind of just stopping doing certain things. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, so that's, that's the other thing really. Um, um, I mean, it's almost like a massive declutter, isn't it? It's it's tidying things of, up, straightening yeah. them, putting things in the right places. And yeah. like you say, it's the things that just aren't performing to to, yeah. to let them go. Yeah. And also just making sure that, um, you know, your systems within the business are are telling the same story you tell when, um, you, sorry, the outputs of the systems in your business. So the, you know, what the CRM is saying versus what your financial system is saying versus what you're saying in the documents um, you prepare when you go to sell your business, they're all tied together. Mm. So they all say the same thing. Because quite quite often also, again, what you find is, um, you know, your CRM systems and what it's saying about sales and pipeline and sales in different products or service lines may not be saying exactly the same thing as your finance system because they've got kind of different timings involved. Yes, or something like yeah, that. yeah. That All of sense. that has to tie together. Yeah. Um, and if it doesn't, you need to know exactly why so you can explain it because, again, when you go into a due diligence uh, process, it'll get picked up. So yeah. it's just being really forensically across what's what's going on within the business and what um, your financials are telling you. Yeah, that makes total sense. How long does it normally take a business to sell? If you were mm. to give us a bracket of from and to. So look, I'd probably split it into um, into two pieces, and um, I'll use a couple of examples to show show you kind of how how widely it can. Um, it can differ. So the actual sale process, particularly at the moment, can be really quick. I mean, it can be as quick as three months sometimes. Wow, okay. It's really, really quick. Or it can take six to nine months. Mm. But that's just the transaction. The the preparing the business for sale, um, and it really depends on how organized um, your business has been in terms of some of those points I touched on earlier. Um, And also... um, one point around the you know going back to the valuation of the business you may want to sell your business you may have a business goal of selling it for i don't know 20 million dollars but the market says your business right now is worth 10 million so if 20 million is what makes sense for you then you need a period of time to work out how you get that business to that doubling of value right mm. so that preparation process can take a really long time and that, mm. that takes far longer than the actual sale process. Okay. So um, if we were to say business is kind of average readiness, there's still some things that need to be tidied up right through to, and they've got someone interested in buying, of course, because that's the other thing is, is yeah, finding a buyer. Totally, totally. <laughs> and what, what, what do you think the average duration would be from getting the business ready to, okay, the sale is done, that it can everything's been ta- signed? It can easily take you two years, right? Wow, I know okay. that, but, but, but the reason why... If this is some, if you want to sell your business at some point in the future, 
start preparing it now because most of the things around preparing your business for sale are just good business practice and it will maximize the value of the business or let you see the business more clearly yourself as you're managing it and you know preparing your business for sale to I'm going to use the house analogy again right so say you want you know you want to sell your house so you'll start getting you're doing the repairs around the house making it pretty making sure you know it's ready to sell and then you'll go and approach a real estate agent and then start the campaign, right? Or someone might knock on your door and or put something through your letterbox saying, I've just seen your house. I love it. I want to buy it now. Okay. So if you if you start the preparation process early, you'll always be ready to take advantage of a golden opportunity, mm. right? And to just show you how wildly kind of the time so two businesses that we've helped sell just this year. One, from first approach to completion, and they were selling to uh, an Australian business to Australian listed um, company, and they'd only been around for a couple of years, five months, total woe to go. Wow. Then another client who sold earlier this year, I first started working with them over four years ago. I was brought in to get their business ready for sale and they thought they'd go out to market in six months. I was pretty sure they, it would take them 12 to 18 months. but and, and it did. It took them 12 months instead of six until they were ready to go out to market. Um, then they went through uh, a sale process that, that ended up falling over for a, a variety of different reasons. Then they had to pick themselves up. And then about a year, 18 months later, they got proactively approached. They weren't ready to go out to market again yet. Um, and then it was another nine months from that approach to completion. So you've got five months and you've got over four years. It, wow. it can really, really vary. And, and is the big difference in those two examples, Michelle, that was the one who sold in five months, they were ready to go. Like you said, it was good business practice. They, they, they had almost like crossed their T's and dotted their I's as they went. Yes, but um, they probably they probably weren't as prepared. They were small. They were a lot smaller and not a lot newer, so there was less to prepare. Yes, um, but they had an incredibly motivated buyer. Um, so it can it can differ purely due to market. Um, I would say the difference in being prepared is the valuation you'll get. Mm. Um, so 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 that's where you kind of want to get yourself ready. Yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. And I, I remember sitting in a, it was a, a session at a conference. It was a one-day conference at Umbrella, who I know you will know, it's like the trade marketing title for it, for marketing, advertising, communications industry. And it was a a panel discussion on what, what you need to know before you sell your business. And I think I was about two years in and I was just really fascinated to, to, to listen because at some stage I did want to sell that first business. Yeah. And one of the panelists had just sold his business and he said what people need to be mind or need to remember is that selling your business can be a full-time job Mm. could you speak to that for a second just in terms of the level of paperwork that's required do you know what I I don't think it's even paperwork but it is an absolutely and it's a really good point because it is an absolutely um all-consuming process and the reason why you need to be really mindful of it, because as a founder, part of preparing the business for sale is making sure that business is bigger than just you and you aren't the one making all of those decisions within the business. Because if that is the case, 
then your business will really suffer whilst you're going through this transaction process. Mm. Um, you know, if, going back to that example I just brought up about the, the first sale process for this client kind of not completing, if their business hadn't been prepared for sale, they would have come out of that first transaction process to a broken business. So it's really important both to make, and, and, and you know, not every sale process is successful. And I think that's a really mm. important pro- thing to remember as well, is that um, your business needs to survive without you, um, whether you sell or whether you don't sell. If you don't sell, you need to come back to a business that, that is still in good shape. And if it does sell, you need to, quite often um, you have um, a portion of the sale proceeds which is reliant on performance after you mm-hmm. sell, right? And if you've taken your focus off, say, sales um, or operational integrity what, and no one else has been doing it or has been going through that transaction process, more than likely that forecast that you put up at the beginning of the sale process is going to get missed. And so you're going to miss some of the value of that sale mm, because of that. True. I never thought about that. Yeah. So, because your eyes on the your eyes your not focus there. is going on mm. to getting the business sold, mm. not necessarily the, the running of the business. Mm. And then the third really thing cool. as well is that you, re, you, that business needs to run without you because again, and I know I keep harking back to it, it, it impacts on your valuation because the business has got to be bigger than just you. Mm-hmm. Um, and so this is a really good way of proving it. Yeah. Yeah, so having that so true. plan and how decisions are made without you needing to be in every single one is really important. Yeah, because if you're gone, the business essentially falls down around your ears and there's, right. there's right. no business. And it can't yeah. for, so, for so many different reasons. Mm. So so in tying up what you've just said, so if if someone is listening to this and they're like, yeah, one day I want to sell my business, like maybe they just started or they're maybe they're five, six, seven years down, down the track with the mm-hmm. business. What are the three things? Because it sounds like there's a lot and I just want to make this really actionable for people yeah. who are listening, who are in this, sitting in, uh, in that position right now. What are the three things that they should be thinking about right now, that the three key boxes that they should be ticking so that if, if, as you said, a very motivated buyer did come knocking on the door in three to six months' time, that they can, with reasonable confidence, feel like they're, they're on their way to selling their business? What would those okay. three things be, do you reckon? So I would say, firstly, get your books and records in order and make sure those proper business processes are in place. That's number one. And just give me an example of what that would be, one of those processes. So making sure that um, you've kept all of the contracts um, for customers, suppliers, employees, and their file, whether it's in Google Drive or Dropbox or, you know, whatever whatever filing system you use, you can find everything. Yeah, and by, the, okay. by the way, have you actually scanned all the copy, all the pages, or did you just go and scan mm. the signature copy? Um you know, all you're going to find lots of things like that as you start going through the process. Um, and I think Michelle, on that, I mean, it's almost like how how myself and Wade cook. You know, I cook and I clean up as I go. So I sit down for dinner and everything's pretty much, unless it's like a really grotty baking dish that needs to be soaked, <laughs> everything's clean. Whereas when Wade cooks, he just uses every freaking pan in the kitchen and everything's just left there. You know, he'll make scrambled eggs and just leave this, the the the, the, the pan. Oh my god, it just kills me. He'll leave the pan on the 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 hot on the cooktop yeah and, and not soak it so I think this is the thing isn't it we can go and create a lot of work for our future selves by Absolutely. unpicking this mess and trying to track down where's that copy and did we file yeah. this and did we not right. and yeah. can we go and get a copy of that from this person yeah. or we can do it as we go like Lorraine cooking 
yeah just to make our future lives easier so I think that's a really good one is is maybe you don't want to go and do all the retrospective stuff right now but even just starting as you mean to go on now exactly. by simple thing as you say capturing contracts and saving them down to a specific contracts folder in google drive or on dropbox that's a great one yeah okay what the second one be right. reckon? second one is really understanding where the strategic value is in your business um, and what metrics drive your business so so understanding your financials understanding you know what's making you a profit understanding who are the key people you need within the business because all of those all of those metrics will drive your growth and that is what you're selling you're selling mm. you're, you're selling your future business as well as your current business yeah. so where that business can go and really being able to talk to that in yeah. meetings with investors or acquirers is really important yeah I think you've you've made a really interesting point there. And I think this was something I had to get my head around as well. If someone is looking at buying a business, they're not just buying the business as it is now. They're buying it because they believe it's going to be a good investment, just like you would buy, to use your house analogy again, you would buy a house because you believe it's going to go up in value. You're not going to buy that house because you think it's a good buy because it's just going to stay the same price. So Mm -hmm. that's the thing, isn't it? It's it's always about that growth. And as you said, you're selling your existing business, but also what your business will be in Mm. a year, two years, 10 years down the line as well. Yeah. And then I think the the third thing is the mental preparation, mm-hmm. um, and this one's a really hard one because I kind of I kind of <laughs> just a step away from the house analogy for a start. I kind of um, the equivalence is trying to explain to someone who's about to uh, to be a parent for the first time what it's going to be like to have that newborn mm-hmm. late baby. You can Such explain as much as you want, but until you're yeah. actually there with this 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 wailing wailing crying lovely creature that that just kind of is so brand new to you you can't really comprehend it but I think the more that you can mentally prepare yourself for what's going to happen the better so by mentally preparing yourself you're really having to think about what your motivations are for selling what is going to be a good outcome for you getting your head around the fact that this is going to take a while and Deal fatigue is real um, and, um, you know, what it's going to feel like not to own your business anymore. So making those plans for what do I, what do, I do next? And, you know, a lot of that is I'll fall in a heat for a little while, thank you. Mm. Um, but, um, you know, just trying to kind of get your head around that is really, really important. And part of that is, is having a good support network around you. So, um, but, you know, both on the the home personal front and also uh, also on the business front mm. um because, because it's tiring it's really mm. tiring it's funny i was talking to um i was talking to one of the founders that had sold his business right at the beginning of the sale process and i, I was kind of joking i'll oh, prepare yourself to be signing this document at, at 2 a.m in the morning he, he was laughing at me going why would i do that why would why would anybody do that at 2 a.m well, surely you would just do it the next day like a, a sensible normal person and yeah, but lo and behold, you know, that those very last couple of days of the process, we were right up until the early hours, you know, um, I think two, one, two a.m., something like that. He was like, I just want to get it done. I don't Aww. care how long it takes tonight. I just need it to be over. And <laughs> you're like, like yeah, I told you why, so. This is, why they, <laughs> this is why deals get signed at 2 a.m. How funny. That's so true. I think for me, if I can just speak, let, let's jump into that, the the emotion post-sale for a minute, because I think mm. we're, we're, we're on a nice segue right now. Mm-hmm. From my own experience, 
I, I, I sold the business and one of my mentors, uh, Claire Jennifer, she's an incredible entrepreneur who sold her business quite a few years ago. And she reached out to say congratulations. And she said, just be prepared for the grief. And I was kind of like, what, what are you talking about? Like I built this, I sold it. I'm onto my next, my next adventure, my next green pasture, like let's go. And, and I think it, for me, it took a few months for that to settle in, but there's a really big void if you've, if you've built something. So for me, I'd built that business for five and a half years. And even though I wanted to sell it, it wasn't like a bloody hostile takeover situation mm. or anything like that. It was very intentional. Mm. There's still a very big gap where, where that's not there anymore. So mm. I, 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 I actually spoke to Claire about it afterwards and I said, I totally get what you were saying. And mm. I know for me, what would have helped if there was some kind of a plan as to what I was going to do next? I mm. knew I would do mm. like Lorraine Murphy Inc. of some mm. sort. But I also, can I also actually say from my own experience what not to do? I had Lexi in June and I sold my business, arranged the sale in November and, 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 and sold it in December to the business partner that I brought on when I was pregnant. And what I would not do again is to time a business sale around another really major life event, like becoming a mother for the first time. It was yeah, just that, that's too, too big much. a year. <laughs> it was too big a year. And so, yeah, I, I would just say that as well as, as if possible to try and, and let the business sale take front and center for a time, because there's a huge amount of adjusting and I know for me it was like my identity shifted on such a massive mm, in, mm. in such a massive way on multiple fronts the business mm. front and the home front with with becoming a mom to Lexi so yeah I, I, how how have you seen founders navigate that not so well and also well in your work it's it's really varied um and there you know the hard thing I think for a founder is to your point, you know, even if this is a very intentional process and I th- with all the businesses that we've helped through sale, they've all been very intentional. This is absolutely what the founder wanted. This was their outcome that they've been building for, uh, for you know, years in some cases. And I think there, there is definitely, um, there's a really unsettling period. For most, most founders have to stay in the business for a certain period of time. Okay, because generally, particularly if you're bought by a much bigger business um, or a public business or something like that, generally you have to stay in the business for a certain amount of time um, to get all of your money, frankly, and, you know, performance outcomes have have to be met. But you are no longer the founder. All the decisions, uh, you know, even if you've got a great succession plan, you know, the buck stops with you. Mm. And going from that to being an employee for sometimes up to two years, that's a really, really tough process for for a founder where, you know, essentially someone is making decisions about your baby, which you may not agree with. Mm. They may shut down things that have been had been your pet project and, you know, you really thought had some really exciting possibilities, but it's not your decision anymore. Mm. Um, and that's really difficult. Um, some founders deal with it well. Some founders deal with it poorly. Um, and, you know, they find it really kind of emotionally wearing. Um, you know, I have to say, though, there are some founders that go on to thrive in these bigger businesses mm. um, because, you know, you now have the freedom to create outcomes, but you don't have the stress of being responsible for, say, people's payroll every month. Right. It's not your personal responsibility anymore. So then for some founders, you get to concentrate on the exciting stuff again. Mm. You might be in charge of product or in charge of strategy or, you know, the bit that really excites you about about the business. 
Um, but I'd have to say for most founders, it's difficult. Um, and that's when having a really good support network around you on a personal front is really important. And knowing what you're going to do next once you exit, finally exit that business is really yeah. important. Yeah, I feel like I've seen examples of both of, of what you've quoted. Mm. I think someone who was the, I guess that that flow and that ease story is Tim Duggan who sold Junkie and he was saying to me over dinner one night that it's just so nice in the business now that he doesn't, exactly like you said, it's not about survival or mm. I mean, he's, he had a flourishing business. So what, it, it, it wasn't about paying people anymore. It was about, okay, that's sorted. That's almost like that's someone else's yep. responsibility now. And now I get to just go and, and take this where I want to take it. So I, mm. I think he's an example of someone who really thrived, who I saw thriving. Yeah. And um, can you just touch on, so an earn out, as you've mentioned, that's pretty much you, you a, a chunk of the full sale of the business is held back on, yeah. until yeah. those performance metrics are met. Yeah. What's the average length of an earn out do you see? It can really vary. You know, as a part of the reason why you want to get a good advisory team on is you really want to keep that portion as, as small and as short as possible mm-hmm. um, for the reasons you've just explained for all of the reasons I've explained and yeah. also from an acquirer's perspective when you buy a business some of the value what they call synergies that you're going to get from the business is by um, by incorporating all the the back end so your finance your HR your legals mm-hmm. um, your contracting um, your sales process in in some instances and so, but to have an earn out, a lot of the time you've got to leave that alone because if you're to earn the rest of your um, money, you have to be able to make some of the, you know, some of the key decisions. Um, so it's, it's, it can be very important for, for the acquirer to actually kind of make it as short as reasonably possible while still managing your risk. So I've seen as short as three months, mm-hmm. um, but as long as two or three years. Mm. Um, and I'd say the three months is unusual, but, and the two to three years, even if that's in the contract, it generally gets negotiated down. Um, it's like having a really long notice period in your employment contract, right? Yeah. But, then, by, example. <laughs> but then when you want to leave, you mind somewhere else and, you know, so all your employer really wants to do is make sure they've picked up all the critical stuff from you. And then you can both start negotiating what, what looks like a sensible exit time. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's the same thing with a, a, a business kind of earn out or tie in as well. Um, but, um, but, you know, it, it's important for both sides that that's kind of managed properly, both within the contracting process, but then within kind of the, the practicalities of transition as well. Yeah, that makes total sense. And. Um, so I think the the emotional side of things. Do do you find as someone who's leading the deal that you tend to to, to provide the founder CEOs who are going through the deal process with a lot of support, is, is the emotional support and being the sounding board? Yeah, I mean a lot of what we do generally um, with businesses is provide that founder support. And um, I, I don't think it's a coincidence that most of the founders that we work with are solo founders. Mm. Um, I think what tends to happen if you have a um, you know co-founders, whether that's two or three people, they become their each other's sounding board in a in a lot of ways. Um, you know, we we do obviously have kind of co-founders that we we support. We may support them in a slightly different way. Um, but with solo founders, yes, a lot of it is around sounding boards and, um, you know, in terms of, you know, the, the new parenting analogy I was using before, just kind of 
sharing examples of how things have worked in the past, um, you know, connecting founders with advisors that we've worked with before that, that we think are, are really great. Um, and yeah, just just really providing that, um, I hate to call it emotional support, but but a lot of it, you know, it, it is kind of that, um, that support and sounding board for, for, you know, people that have never been through this process mm. before. Generally, um, the founders that we're working with, this is the first time they've ever gone through this. Mm. Um, so there's so, a lot of reassurance. Maybe reassurance is a better word mm, than, than emotional mm, support. Yeah, yeah. I, if, if you think about becoming, for me, like having having Lexi, like our midwife, Joe was just so wonderful when I was worried about birth and what was going to happen. And she's just been there. I mean, she's delivered hundreds of babies now. So there's mm. some, there's real reassurance with that comes from someone who's been there and done that and supported someone like you through a similar experience. So I think that's, that's probably where that reassurance piece comes in, which is almost like the hidden value in what you do, isn't it? Mm, mm, yeah. Yeah. Amazing. So just, just to, to summarize a, a couple of kind of quick fire questions, if yep. someone would like to start their business someday, what's one thing they should think about right now? So if someone wanted to sell their business someday, I would start thinking about that, um, that, um, operational hygiene, um, Ooh, that, getting, like your that. Books, getting your books and records in order. Your operational hygiene. So good. If mm. someone is in the, in the sales process right now, what's one thing that you would say to them? Hold strong. It yeah. will be okay. <laughs> so good. There, there's your reassurance coming in. And if someone has just sold their business and maybe they're starting to feel that void that I talked about, what's one thing you would say to them? same thing hold strong okay um no really um in terms of that last piece it's it's you know firstly congratulations Mm. you know you made it um and then um you know planning for what's next I also I also don't know a single founder um entrepreneur that hasn't sold their first business um and then started thinking about what they could do next mm. you, you know you can't keep can't keep a good entrepreneur down yes um, so, so, true. so they're, they're always thinking about kind of oh what can I create next and that's exciting that you get to get to start all over again yeah um, yeah but a bit, a bit wiser and hopefully with yeah. a bit more money than you did yeah. starting the first one <laughs> yeah. the previous one. Oh my dear thank you so much this has been super super helpful I think the, maybe some people get scared off this topic because it can feel quite technical I think what you've done a beautiful job of as part of this chat, which I knew you would, is to simplify it and and make it feel accessible to people. Yeah. You know, it's, it's not every anyone as of course if they've ticked the boxes that you've talked about, anyone can sell their business. It's not something that's retained for the unicorns or the Silicon Valley Absolutely unicorns. Not. And so I think what you've shared has been really, really hopefully really empowering for for people listening as well. Is there anything well, else you feel like we've missed? Um, the, the, you know, the only thing that I would say is that, um, you know, if you want to do a quick assessment of, um, how ready your business is for sale, we've got a, um, a tool that you can access on our website, um, which helps you kind of do a, a little temperature check of, of how ready you are for that process. So if you're curious to sort of see how your, your business on your operations, um, shape up right now, um, that that's a good first step. Brilliant. So that's lanternpartners.com.au. And I'll, pu- I'll pop a link directly to that tool into the show notes as well. So everyone can access Wonderful. it easily. That's super right. generous. Thank you. You've been incredible. Thank you for sharing. So yeah, so, so generously. And as I said, just, just rooting this in real life as well. Yeah. And, and that, that this is real people that do this. And 
with real people comes the mess, you know, the, the emotional, it's, it's the excitement, but it's also the yeah. challenge and the blocks and, and the, the self-doubt and all the things as well. So thank you so much for joining me. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's been lovely chatting as always. So there you have it, the wonderful Michelle Cavello from Lantern Partners and all her wisdom on setting our businesses up for sale. You can find out more about Michelle and Lantern Partners at their website, lantern, L-A-N-T-E-R-N, partners.com.au. And you can also find Michelle's LinkedIn profile in the link in the show notes too. So thank you so much again for joining me this week. Remember, if you would like to engage with me about mentoring, you can find a link to my Power Quota Mentoring Package in the show notes. And I would love to hear from you and support you in your business journey. Thank you so much again for joining this week. And I look forward to you joining me for next week's episode. Thank you for being part of this week's episode. It was remarkable to have you. I am always keen to hear your thoughts, questions, ideas, and suggestions for future topics for the podcast. So please get in touch on Instagram. My handle is at Lorraine Remarks and through my website, LorraineMurphy.com.au. If you're enjoying what I'm putting out here, please do rate, review, or subscribe to the podcast so more people can find out about it and we can build this special community. Or even better, do all three. Chat to you next week.